record to close. Okay. So, uh, first, before we begin uh, tonight's uh, Shaila uh, in, in discussion, so I just want to, uh, to follow up from, uh, from last week. Uh, Mel went ahead and, uh, uh, and emailed about last week's Shaila. Last week's Shaila about the, the two roommates, one of which uh, contracted the coronavirus, who could stay and who could go. So uh, Mel wanted to know why the person who uh, has coronavirus isn't considered to be somebody who has damaged the property. Because as a result of his presence and his breathing and coughing and sneezing and touching everything, so that makes it essentially unlivable for the roommate to, at least as far as we know in the moment, uh, has not yet tested uh, positive. And therefore, if the one who tested positive, not that he did it intentionally, but if even unknowingly, he went ahead and caused uh, the, uh, the apartment to become uh, uh, uninhabitable, so maybe he should bear some sort of uh, liability or uh, liability or something for that. So it's an excellent uh, it's an excellent point uh, uh, as far as the uh, the topic from last week was concerned, and the answer which uh, which I would give to that is that halacha has this curious um, wrinkle to it. The halachas of damages of nizik it has a curious wrinkle to it, which is that there is an exemption for hezek she'enu nicker that when damage is something which is not discernible, it's not something which you could see, so that technically does not qualify as damages. Now, let me explain uh, two, two parts to that, uh, to that principle about Hezek She'enu Nikr. Um, so one part of that is, one example of that, the, good, uh, the most common example of that that we would experience now, is if I go ahead and I borrow your pot and I trafe it up. So you can't see that anything has changed. Nothing physically has changed as far as the pot is concerned or the pan is concerned or the dishes are concerned. The only thing is, is that I tell you that, listen, I have to be perfectly honest, uh, the pot which you uh, loaned me, so I happen to have trafed it up. So that is would be an example of Hezek She'en of non-discernible damages for which one would not be uh, technically responsible. I can't be forced to go ahead and pay for the fact that your dish is uh, is uh, is damaged. Now, um, one should not assume, the, based on this uh, this idea, that something which is not discernible or something which is not nicker is not visible. That uh, it shouldn't take that too literally, because if I go ahead and another common example, a, a potential example that could fit into this is. Let's say I borrow your laptop or I borrow your phone or I borrow your tablet or whatever your electronic device is, and I get a virus on it, which causes it to be non-functional. So as you look at the outside of your laptop, you don't see any visible damage. I didn't take a knife or something or a hammer and smash it. All I did was I went ahead and I uh, caused something internally to no longer work. So one may think that that should also qualify as Hezek Sheinu Nikr, as non-discernible or non-visible damage, and one would be exempt. But the reason that's not true is because the fact that it's no longer functional, that's something which is evident to anybody as soon as you hit the power button and it doesn't go on. So right away, one sees that the function of this thing has been impacted. So when we say Hezek Sheinu Nikr, even though it translates as recognizable or discernible or visible or something along those lines. What it means is that it's uh, even the loss of function 
uh, that you could physically see a loss of function, that all that would qualify as hezek shenikr. That's recognizable damage for which one would be responsible. Now, the case of the apartment where, as a result of the virus, so people don't want to go ahead and live there. So that, I think, would fall into the category still of hezek sheino nikr. Because there's no visible function that, uh, that one could point to and say it's no longer working. There's no visible damage. There's nothing which is not functional about it. It just people don't want to live there because there's a virus there. So not wanting to live there because there's a virus is most similar to the case of trafing up a utensil, which you're not going to want to use because it's trafe, but it's not that it doesn't work as a pot. It's not that there's a deep gash which allows all of the contents to escape out. So for that reason, I think that it would be non-discernible damages, Hezek Shainunikar. And that would be the reason that the uh, roommate who contracted the virus wouldn't have to, can't be forced to go ahead and pay for any sort of damages which were done to the apartment because all of it is going to fall into the category of Hezek Shainunikar. What about the, uh, but what about Rabbi Schaffel, the, yeah. the landlord? Okay, he would have to perhaps hire a cleaning service after someone was there and have it cleaned in a special way uh, in order that the, a tenant and the next tenant uh, would not be affected by it. Why would that, why would he not have to pay for that damage? So there, there's two things. One is it, it would still be Hezek Shane Onikar, right? The, the response to it is something which, uh, you know, will, will cost uh, some money. But the damage in and of itself is something which is not uh, which is not nicker. Uh, I wonder now if landlords are putting in some sort of um, uh, COVID clause into their rental agreements that in the event that somebody gets it and we have to do a deep clean or whatever you know whatever they would have to do that the tenant is going to be responsible to uh, to bear that cost. That I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me if uh, if landlords were were doing such a thing. But on top of that, the cleaning bill uh, in such a case would likely be categorized as a grama, as an indirect uh, form of, of damage. And the uh, indirect form of damage is one that also you cannot force the, um, the, the mazik, the one who caused the damage, to go ahead and pay for that. So it's really, it's like a grama on a hezek sheinu nicker, which was done unintentionally. So you have like a trifecta of exemption. Thank you. Yep. Rabbi, did your answer just now cover the question, my follow-up question about the time loss for the um, um, tenant who has to find a new apartment? Um, so time loss is also very excellent. So time loss also is one of those things which, we, which would fit into the category of grumov, an indirect type of loss rather than direct loss. So anything, uh, almost anything which is indirect so that's where we invoke, I know you love the rule so much, of too bad, so sad. <laughs> so that's just one of the uh, the technicalities. This is one of, uh, Reb Chaim likes to talk about how uh, grama, this category of indirect damage, is one of the key distinctions between, where we see a difference between how secular law looks at damages and how halacha looks at damages. Much of what uh, set, what uh, people recover in terms of damages is uh, it would uh, legally in the in secular court halachically would fit into the category of grama and you would not be able to collect. So this is a major difference between those two uh, to those two uh, law systems, those two legal systems, 
specifically this area of grama. Okay, give out. Now, so thank you for that uh, follow-up. So now let's get to today's Shaila. Uh, we're going to do this one because it uh, goes back to something which I've been thinking about for a long time, and I never had a chance to go ahead and confirm. And then we had a, uh, a, a conversation with, uh, with Reb Chaim the other day, and he, he confirmed what I thought to be true. So anytime it turns out that I'm right about something, so we're going to go with that. <laughs> that's, that's my rule of thumb. Okay, so the, the Shiloh was sent us from Eretz Yisrael. That's where we, uh, that's where we originally uh, saw it. So that's why we'll, uh, we'll just read it in the Hebrew in which it appeared. I looked it up in, uh, from the original email which we received. So this happened sometime in August. So it's, not too, uh, it's not too long ago, but it could happen, it could happen again. And uh, the way things are going in Illinois, in the city of Chicago, uh, it may become uh, you know, uh, uh, very close to Allah Meister Shaila for us as well. We hope not, but, it, uh, but maybe. Okay, so he says, Asa ira biyamim elu shel tkufat ha the transliterations are always the hardest. So the incident happened during this period of Corona. There was a shul in Eretz Yisrael where many people are davening and they were not masked. We're not commenting about whether they should or they shouldn't. That was just the, uh, the, the, the scene was they weren't masked. And it's something which everybody knows that if you get caught in one of those uh, situations where you're supposed to be wearing a mask and you're not, so there is a hefty fine. And therefore, uh, suddenly, one of the people in Shul looks out the window and sees that a, a police officer is approaching the Shul. And if he comes into the shul and he catches all those people not wearing masks, so they are going to be uh, issued a ticket, which carries with it a quite a hefty fine. So everybody starts searching their, all their pockets for a mask. Everybody suddenly is, uh, is, uh, is mask crazy. In order to avoid getting that ticket, which the uh, the police officer will certainly issue. So one of the officers, uh, one of the davners, Ruven Shemo, we'll call him Ruven. He happens to just conveniently, it's a, it was really a sham between him and, him and the police officer, but he has a box of unused masks uh, filled, uh, that's full. And he makes the following announcement and surely claps on the bima. Rabbi Osai, 100, 100 shkalim a mask. Right? So what happens? Uh, so everybody who's there without a mask, so they agree, because they have no choice, to go ahead and to, uh, to purchase one of these masks. And everybody puts it on before the police officer has a chance to enter. He's still turn, trying to decipher the code on the front door, and uh, they were able to go ahead and get masked up before he comes in. 
Hashrotrim nichnesu libikoret. The officer comes in, officers come in for an inspection, and they walk out satisfied that everybody was properly masked. And now Ruvain starts going up to everybody in shul saying, listen, you got one of my masks, 100 check. And he wants, uh, he wants payment. So what are the people who are in shul who took one of these masks? What do they respond? So we're not paying you any more than the cost of a single mask as it's sold in the market. If you go to 7-Eleven, or whatever the equivalent of 7-Eleven is in Israel, you go to Logan Makolet, and you buy a single mask, how much is that going to run you? They said it doesn't cost any more than two shekel to buy a single mask, and you charge us 100 shekel per mask, so we're not paying you any more than two visulo. And that's it. That's all you get is whatever the standard market rate for a mask is. So the question is, is their response, is their claim that they don't have to pay any more than two shekel for this mask, even though the even though Ruvain told them it's going to run them a hundred shekel a mask, are they correct that they don't have to pay any more than two because that's the regular market? And the two specific areas of halacha, and we'll see how much of this uh, we end up covering tonight, but the two specific areas of halacha are, number one, this phrase called mishat anibach. As we're going to see, there's times when I could commit to make a financial transaction with you, but when it turns out that my commitment was rooted in the fact that I was desperate and I had no choice, so I could come back afterwards and say, listen, when I agreed to pay you that 100 shekel a mass, I was just joking. That's Chazal's way of saying to the other guy, too bad, so sad. I don't have to pay you that exorbitant amount that you were charging me. And so that's number one. There's this phrase, and then phrase number two is Onah is overcharging somebody or underpaying somebody in the context of a financial transaction. So maybe the fact that Ruvain was taking advantage of all of their desperation and he's charging them 100 shekel for a two shekel mask. So that is clearly by all accounts that's considered, we would call that price gouging. Price gouging would certainly fit into the category of Ona. And therefore they don't have to go ahead and pay his uh, price gouging uh, uh, amount. They could pay just the standard amount that it would be sold at the local Makolet on the street corner. Okay? So that's, that I, is I, our, our Shiloh for tonight. Yes, I, 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 I thought that Ona only applies when the person being ripped off doesn't realize that he's being ripped off. That if he, if he, if he agrees to the exorbitant price, I thought it was okay. Uh, excellent. So yeah, so that, that's going to be part of it. So let's see right away uh, uh, the, the first sif in the, the halachas of Ona. Now that you uh, brought it up right away, Art. Thank you. So it says, Shulchan Aruch says, So one is not allowed to, we in the Kol Bayas, we generally translate the word ona or any form of that uh, with the, uh, the English exploit. So one is not allowed to exploit a friend. Doesn't make a difference whether we're dealing from the customer's perspective or the merchant's perspective, whether the merchant is overcharging for the thing or whether the customer is paying too little for the item. And whichever one went ahead and committed the ona, whether it is the, uh, the customer 
or whether it is the merchant, over Bilav, so they go ahead and they uh, violate the uh, this uh, this law. They violate the uh, the prohibition. Okay, so that is so clearly there's a prohibition involved in this. Bacha wanted to know. I don't know if we have the chat open. Bacha wanted to know that, and this is certainly what Ruvain is going to argue. Ruvain is going to take out his thumb and he's going to say, "What do you mean that you uh, that you don't want to pay when I went ahead and charged you a hundred dollars a mask?" For a uh, a one hundred shekel a mask for a two shekel mask, really, I'm doing you a favor, because had you not been masked up, you would have been fined five hundred shekel. So really, I saved you four hundred shekel. You should be happy that rather than suffering a five hundred shekel loss, you only have to pay a hundred shekel for the uh, for the uh, uh, for the mask. So really, don't think of me as somebody who's violating the issue of ona. Really, you should look at me. I should win man of the year because I went ahead and saved, look, there's, uh, you know, 50 people in Shul and I saved 400 shekel per person. That's a huge amount of money, which I saved, uh, you know, that could pay, uh, you know, for at least some hors d'oeuvres at shallots or something. So therefore, with all of that, with all of those savings, so I should be, I should be getting big thanks rather than all of you now trying to, uh, to get out of it. Um... Yes. So the second part, uh, also excellent point, uh, Bacha. Thank you again. The the other part is that they went to show without masks, with full knowledge that they're risking a fine without a mask and did it anyways. So that's absolutely true. Uh, when it comes to um, um, uh, a similar scenario where this type of thing comes up, uh, I think we actually have an article about it in the, in the Business Weekly, uh, is let's say I'm walking down the street and the... Um, the meter maid is uh, is coming and uh, writing tickets for those people whose meter has expired. And I see that there's a friend's car that's parked at one of those meters and the meter has expired. So obviously that person is going to get a fine of, get, get a ticket for, I don't know, $50, $75, whatever you want to go ahead and uh, whatever number you want to put in there. So is there a mitzvah of Hashavah Saveda? Will, it, will I fulfill the mitzvah of returning a lost object by preventing that person from getting the ticket? Do I have the chiv? Do I have an obligation to put a quarter into the meter? So that there'll now be time on the meter. They won't get a ticket. And I could go back to them and say, listen, I spent money to go ahead and save you money. And therefore, you're obligated to reimburse me for that, uh, for that quarter. So in such a case... Uh, we say it depends on the exact circumstances, but let's take this scenario that, uh, that you presented, uh, Bacha. So if I saw that the person was going into the store, and I said, oh, you forgot to pay the meter. And he said, I'm just running in and I'm running out. Uh, nobody's, uh, nobody will even know because it's going to be so quickly. So when a person knowingly takes a risk where they know it's possible that they could get a fine, the mitzvah of Hashem HaSaveda doesn't apply. So you're correct in that amount. If you take a calculated risk uh, and uh, and uh, you know what the uh, the stakes are, so I'm not responsible to be more careful with your risk taking tolerance than you are. And if you're willing to take the risk, that absolves me of the mitzvah of hashavas aveda. So a similar type of thing over here. This fellow, even with the masks, he doesn't have to give anybody a mask. If everybody says, "Listen, you have to give us a mask because we're going to get this 500 500 shekel fine." You can say you guys are a bunch of morons. You knew that uh, that uh, there's a there's a risk of getting a 500 shekel fine for coming to store without a mask. If you guys don't care, why should I care? Go ahead and suffer the fine. Okay. So now, 
Um, now the the now Eric brought up uh, an important point, which is that um, that if the um, usually ona in the event that somebody knows that they are being exploited, and they go ahead and they go through with the transaction anyways, so that may um, uh, circumvent the prohibition. That sort of sidesteps the prohibition. That if you know that you're, uh, if, if I'm charging you a, a, a high amount and you know that you're being hard, uh, charged a high amount and you do it anyways, so it could be that that's not enough. So that is going to be uh, a, a major part of our, our discussion uh, now. Yeah, I mean, just because it's not enough doesn't make it, does, doesn't make it, you know, it doesn't close the case. I, I mean, you know, the, the, um, the coercion is still a big factor, I think. Okay, excellent, right. So you're, you're correct. Uh, as a, as a experienced Choshemishpat people already, there's our second week now. So as experienced Choshemishpat people already, so you know that just because a person doesn't have to pay doesn't mean that they're a tzaddik. So they're, uh, what we're going to say about their character and whether they have to pay for what's going on, those are two very different shilas. Like we like to say, as you know, Art, like to say, doesn't mean that this guy's getting mafter yona just because he doesn't have to pay. So it may be that we're going to deny him after Yona, but it happens to be that it's too bad, so sad that we can't get him to pay. But it doesn't, this is not the, not having to pay or having to pay doesn't make one a uh, Russia or not. That's not going to be the, the barometer as far as the, you know, the relative righteousness or wickedness. Okay, so now the question is, uh, the question which I would like to uh, deal with uh, uh, most is, whether or not we could say that given the time and place of this story, the value of masks actually rose to 100 shekel a mask. So uh, within the halachas of Ona, one of the most important uh, fundamental principles that one has to be mindful when it comes to Ona, again, exploiting somebody in the context of a business transaction, is that the uh, what we what we talk about generally is whether or not the person was exploited one sixth above the price, whether it was more than one sixth or whether it's less than one sixth. So if I exploited somebody one tenth of the price, so then you as a customer, let's say I as the merchant went ahead and exploited you. So uh, you as a customer, you have no recourse. If I exploited you more than a sixth, I charge you double for the thing. So then that's called the yes or mishnos, if it's more than one six. So then you have the right to go ahead and cancel the transaction. You could say, I'm not doing business with a thief. Give me back my money, take back your stuff and get out of here. If it's exactly one sixth, so then the transaction stands, but I'm obligated to refund you the one sixth that I overcharged you. Now, what about, what about the place, the marketplace? If oh, you're going so to now, the grocery store, it's one thing. If you're in a shul, it's something else. So right, excellent. So now, what the, the, that was that was the basics about the about one sixth. Now the the fundamental principle which you always have to keep in mind is, and the tricky part is that that one sixth is going to be determined based on markets, and there are different markets for the same item, as we know. Uh, if you go into uh, into a jewel, let's say, usually you can get yourself a two liter bottle of uh, a pop for 99 cents. Usually it's on sale for that. If you're really lucky, they'll have a really good sale where it'll be 79 cents uh, for a two liter. And those one or two weeks a year when they don't have any sale whatsoever, uh, then you'll end up paying a dollar 79 for a two liter. 
Okay, that's in Jewel. Now what happens when you try and get that same two liter bottle at 7-Eleven? It's gonna cost you even more, right? It'll cost you 269 or something uh, or something like that. And if you go ahead and you go to a super discount store or something like that, how much are you gonna be able to get the, a two liter for? And maybe even less than that. And if you go into the ballpark and you buy yourself 16 ounces of, of Coke, how much is that gonna run you? Or you go into the airport and you buy yourself a, a, a 12 ounce a bottle of Coke. So how much that, that'll run you? If you're flying Spirit, it may cost you as much as your ticket. So you have all of these different prices which are going on for the same thing. And the truth is though, and therefore one may think that this store with, in the airport when they charge you five bucks for a, a small bottle of Coke, then that should certainly be oh no, because I could go to the store and I could get three or four two liters for that same amount of money. But the reason why that's not oh no is because of what Mel mentioned is because there's different markets. In Ona is going to be market dependent. So if you're in a market where $5 for a 12 ounce or 16 ounces of Coke is the standard amount, and everybody pays that, apparently because people are drinking Cokes all the time and you can't bring them in with you into the airport anymore. So that is the market in the airport. But if you go ahead and you try and sell that same thing, that same 16 ounce thing, a jewel for five bucks, so that would be way overpriced and nobody would go ahead and do so. So everything is going to be market dependent. Okay, now that being said, so the Gemara Kedushin tells us this amazing thing. The Gemara says, and the exact context uh, for us isn't uh, uh, that important and giving too much of an introduction will take up too much time. But the Gemara says, Kihadra of Kahana, he was a Kohen, thus the name Kahana. Shokul Sudra Mibay Pidyonaben. So somebody needed something, there was a couple had a firstborn son that needed a pidyon ben, and rather than giving Rav Kahana the five silver dollars, which uh, is standard for a pidyon ben nowadays, so Rav Kahana went ahead and he took a kerchief. He took a, some sort of head covering. He took a turban uh, in place of the five, the five slime. Amarle, and he said an explanation of it, lididi chazili slime. For me, wearing a, a, a turban, even though for everybody else, they may not spend any more than three slime on this turban. For me, it's worth five. I'm Ravashi. Ravashi now comes along to explain this halacha. And he says, Lo amran el Rav Kahana. That this allowance for Rav Kahana to take this three-sela three turban and say, for me, it's worth five-sela. And therefore, it works for Pidyon Ben. It works for the redemption of this couple's child. Only Rav Kahana could get away with that, or somebody like Rav Kahana could get away with that. Why? The Gavarabahu, because he is a great individual. And he cannot walk around on the street. It would be humiliating for him to walk around on the street without a turban on his head. That's standard rabbinic uh, garb. And for Rav Kahana to walk around without the, uh, a turban on his head, think of that as being equivalent of, of Rav Kahana walking around without a yarmulke. It's just impossible. He can't possibly be walking around in the street without a yarmulke. And therefore, for him, even though everybody else pays three, for him, it's worth five because it's essential for him. But for everybody else, so they cannot go ahead. You can't assign value to things just based on your own interest. It's something which has to be that this is something which for you, it would be worth that amount. 
That's what the, that's what the Gemara says. Now, says the Ritva. Ritva is one of the uh, the commentators to uh, on the on the Gemara amongst the Rishonim. So he says, um, let's just go to over here again for the sake of time. Says the Ritva of Shamina Mehacha. So this is where we're picking it up. So Ritva says we can infer the following halacha from here. I go ahead and I sell you a product for $6. In the standard price in the market is 5 So if for this person, like the case of Rav Kahana, this person considers this object to be of great value, great personal value, and he's always willing to pay extra to get one of these, so he's always willing to pay 6 so then, if I go ahead and I charge you $6 for that thing, every other customer who walks in, I charge them 5 But for you, it's worth 6 and I charge you 6 So you can't complain that it's on up. The buser Because you could go ahead and you could, in a sense, set up a market for yourself. So if for you, this is something which is essential, so I could charge you that higher amount for you. Um, now let's skip a line. But when is it true that I could charge you $6 for this $5 item? That's only when you would always pay me $6 for that item. This is something which is your favorite thing in the world, and you're always willing to pay a premium in order to be able to get your hands on it. However, but let's say you're willing to pay six only because you are desperate for this item. If you remember like, uh, you know, uh, the old price is right. You know, if you pull a, a, a paperclip out of your purse, I'll give you 500 bucks. So all of a sudden having a paperclip in your purse, so now you're desperate for that because you can make a lot of money off of that. Or one of the cases that uh, that's discussed in Shulchan Aruch is, uh, let's say uh, a medication. Right, so medication has a standard price, but you could find somebody in a moment of desperation, they need it very badly, they'll pay anything in order to be able to, uh, to get it. So, right, uh, uh, whatever it is, how much does a, a, an inhaler cost when you pick it up from the pharmacy? So that'll be one price. If the person's in the middle of an asthma attack, Rahman al-Itzlan, so then they'll pay any amount that, uh, that, uh, that, you, that, you, uh, that you demand in order to be able to get their hands on the inhaler because they're desperate. So the Ritva says, that this ability to say that something has a higher price based on a subjective standard, that's only true when this person will always pay that, uh, that premium price for this object. But when a person is only willing to pay that higher amount because they are dachuk, they are desperate for the thing, So when you agree to pay something out of desperation, that's not considered to be, it's a, a, a reasonable price. And that agreement is not binding. Says the Ritva even further, even in the event that I actually paid you for it, for this, uh, this thing ahead of time, and now after the, the, uh, the moment of desperation has passed, 
I could go ahead and I could go back to you and say, listen, you charged me way too much. You were price gouging over there, taking advantage of my desperate situation. And I demand a refund because I don't have to pay you any more than what the reasonable amount would be, what the market price for this would be. And paying a penny more is you have no right to that. And you have to give me that, that, that money back. So here, Rav Kahana, uh, sorry, the, the Ritva is telling us a very important principle. And that is, is that there may be a certain amount of flexibility as far as market price is concerned, how much you can charge, how much you may not be able to charge, because you can have a person who, for them, this is something which is extremely valuable, and they may be willing to pay that amount, but that only holds up halachically if this person will always pay that higher amount because they value such a thing. But if you're charging the higher amount simply because the person is desperate, that's not considered to be a reasonable negotiation of terms. And therefore, you would have the right to go ahead and take the stuff back, take, uh, get a refund of your money. Good? What's an example of that? So the Ritzvah mentions one of the examples of the, that's found in the Gemara. It says, Milo Tanya, because the Brisa says, Haray Let's say a person is fleeing from prison. Why he was in prison, we don't know. Why he's fleeing from, from prison, you may be allowed to help him, is a different Shiloh, but none of that is our business right now. That's not our Shiloh. A guy is running away from prison. And in order to escape, he has to cross the other side of the river. He'll cross the state lines, and once he crosses the straight lines, so he'll be, uh, he'll be free to go. So in the only way to cross over there is there's a ferry which takes people from one side of the river to the other. And the sign above the ferry says $5 for a ride across the river. And and the person says, told dinner vavireni. And the, uh, the, uh, the prisoner who's escaping says, here, I got a $100 bill. Take this $100 bill and just take me across the river as quickly as you can. So he's willing to pay $100 for this $5 trip. So when you get to the other side of the river, the ferry driver does not have the right to collect any more than five bucks, which is a standard fare for a trip across the river. Why? Alma, So we see, and that's the principle that we said before, the idea that we said before, that this escapee is going to be able to say to the ferry driver, listen, when I agreed to pay you $100 for this $5 trip, I was just joking. It doesn't really mean anything. It's not really a binding agreement. And I don't have to pay you any more than the standard amount. Good? Okay, give out. So what does this have to do? Uh, how, so how is this going to impact our mask case? So are they, are they going to have to pay? They're not going to have to pay? They shouldn't have to pay. Yeah, they shouldn't they have to pay. This is same, only, same. Whatever would have been this at the Makolot, whatever it would have cost the Makolot, that's what they have to pay. Whatever would be in the, in the Makolot. Yeah. I disagree. Art, you're agreeing with that also? Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Any dissenting opinions? Yes. Dissent. Excellent. I dissent. It's a different uh, Beautiful. Yes. What's your dissent? I think that in the case of desperation, it, at least the case that's given there, there's no prior knowledge or prior way to plan. This person is in the moment they're escaping from there. In the case of the mask, again, there was the 
foreknowledge. I am getting myself into a situation where I know that I'm risking this fine. It's not like We're the fine. You, uh, with, with, Sorry, maybe this will be better. In the case of the in the case of the mask, I'm still stuck on the fact that the congregants who chose to come to Shul without a mask did so knowing that they were taking this risk, which is not really a desperation. The fact they got caught, so they just happened to get caught this time, but they knew full well going in because the 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 law is if you get caught, you get fined, and they chose to take that on anyway. Uh, yes, excellent, excellent. Okay, good. good. I'd like to dissent also. Okay, um, yeah, for, for a slightly different reason. I, I want to say that uh, the, when they want to pay what you would pay in the Makolet, how do we know that that's really the appropriate market to, uh, to do it? If they, for example, on their own, if they had not been in shul, uh, were in a situation like that, and they saw the police coming around and giving tickets, they would have run into, let's say they were in a pretty ritzy area of town, the equivalent of Beverly Hills. And uh, so they would have run into the closest store and purchased a mask, which might've been maybe not a hundred shekel, but it might've been 20 shekel. And okay. so um, it, it's not clear to me that you could compare this to the Makolet price. Now they 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 may be right that um, that um, that they were overcharged, but I I don't think that the standard ought to be just the neighborhood Makolet. Uh, well, I, I I thought that when the question was read to begin with, it said that the maximum price that you could buy it anywhere was two shekel. Um, the word maximum was used in the in the question. I, I thought he was. I, I I saw that, but I thought Art that he was saying you could maybe you should adjudicate this, uh, Rabbi Shavel. I thought that was just the claim of the people um, that that's what they're saying. That's the most you'd have to pay if you went to a makolet to get it. But it it would not necessarily be the maximum that um, uh, that a person uh, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah. Right, right, and it would be up to the court to decide, would it not, what the market price was? Right, right. If if there was a discrepancy like that, so then the, the, then yes, and it came to Basin, so Basin would have to uh, do their research and have to do their due diligence and find out, you know, on that day what were masks uh, uh, going for. You know, the the costs of masks have uh, have changed dramatically over the past uh, few months. Uh, the first uh, box of of masks which we bought. Um, I think we paid fifty dollars for fifty masks, and I think we thought that was a pretty good price at the uh, at the time that we did so. Now you could get them on eBay uh, for about two ninety for a box of fifty. So the uh, you know the prices obviously uh, you know uh, changed uh, significantly, but yes, that's going to uh, that's going to be market uh, market related uh, conditions will uh, obviously have a very strong impact on uh, on that. I, I have a dissent also. Okay, good. That's your story. I'm talking about the, um, the guy who's in prison and is offering $100 to cross the, um, to cross the, the river. river. He offered it. It wasn't, it wasn't something where somebody, he's being overcharged. He actually offered it to the theory guy. And so if, if he's offering it, it seems like he should have to pay it. If, even though he's desperate, but he chose to offer that much. He could have said, 
take me across and, you know, I'll pay the amount. But he said, I'll pay you a hundred. Right. Yeah. Well, it, 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 Indeed, indeed, indeed. That, that, that's important. Uh, maybe sometime we'll do a whole uh, shear on this principle of Meshat Anibach. You know, what exactly that, uh, that, that involves and when you can invoke that principle and when you, uh, you cannot. Um, uh, which is, it, it is a, a, a topic in and of itself, which is, uh, which is important. But right now, uh, uh, I want to just stay on the, uh, the Ona part of it. But we'll, we'll we'll get back to that at some point, Charlene. Thank you. Another another uh, twist, just to yes. throw it in, is uh, what if the clop on the table was, I need everyone to donate to the shoal 100 shekels, then we can distribute these masks. So it's not uh, a personal profit. It's it's a it's a fundraiser under pressure. Right. So uh, uh, that's a rabbi. <laughs> yeah, well, where do you think I come up with these things? Yeah, it's a good fundraiser. We should think about that. <laughs> um, Ellen will be the cop at the door. So the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, the that that could dramatically change things, Arnie, um, because if one goes out and make it makes a pledge to the shul, that may already be nidrate tzedakah. That may be a vow to go ahead and give tzedakah to the shul. If it's understood that uh, the cost of the uh, that you're paying that amount not because that's the market value of the mass, but because the shul is going to make money off of that, um, so nidrate tzedakah already puts it into a, a, a another category, it takes it out of choshemish, but puts it into yoredeya, and once it goes over there, it may be uh, it may be binding uh, because it has nothing to do with market uh, price; it has to do with pledging tzedakah. Yeah, and then the yes, receipt the receipt says value received two shekel. Yeah, so that already is that's uh, that's for accountants. That's uh, that, that I'm not touching. Okay, so now, um, so let, let's see over here over here quickly. Uh, just this last and then I'll tell you what the the part of the conversation which I think was uh, uh, with Reb Chaim. So here Shacharach says this is also in Reish Chav Zayin. I think it's Sif Test, but I'm not 100. I think it's Sif Test. Says Vechein Imachar Mipnei Dochko. So here, Shochanach is addressing the perspective specifically of the merchant. Make that bigger for those of us whose eyes are, are getting old. So he says, if a person goes ahead and sells something because they're desperate. So this is what, uh, again, the Tuesday night people are familiar with this. Vinny is coming looking to collect the debt, and I need to li- uh, liquidate some of my assets so I could keep my kneecaps uh, for the morning. I have a run to do in the morning, so the kneecaps will be uh, convenient to, to hold on to. So, so I go ahead and I sell my baseball card uh, collection out of desperation. And I went ahead and I sold it at this incredibly cheap price. It's so cheap that nobody thinks that I thought that that was a reasonable price. Everybody realizes from the outset that I was selling it because I'm desperate for cash. It's evident that I was so desperate for money, that's why I sold it for that cheap price. So I, as the merchant, I'm not going to be able to then come along later to the buyer and say, listen, you paid uh, $1,000 for this $2,000 item. You knew perfectly well that I needed the $1,000 cash desperately within an hour. And that's why I was willing to sell it to you for so cheaply. And now that I'm, uh, things in my life have stabilized a bit more, I want my $1,000 back. 
There's no reason you should take advantage of my uh, of my desperation like that. Shulchan Aruch says, So I, the merchant, I, the one who sold the baseball card collection for only $1,000, when it goes for $2,000, I'm not going to be able to get any sort of refund. Because I knew what I was doing. This is a little bit like you're saying, Gabacha. I knew what I was doing when I went ahead and I sold the $2,000 item for only $1,000. And if I know, and also what, the, what you mentioned also, Art, at the beginning, if, we, if I know from the very outset that this is what I'm doing and I'm getting myself into it, I can't come back later with buyer's remorse and say, well, I changed my mind. I'm no longer as desperate. I want my money back. If you know what you're doing from the outset and you agree to do so, so too bad, so sad, and you can't uh, can't cry about it uh, and complain about it later on. The shaila is now here. Shocharach is explicit that this halacha is true when it comes to the merchant. The question is, does the flip side work? Can we say the same thing when it comes to a customer? Can we say to the customer, listen? When you agreed to pay 100 shekel for a two shekel mask, so you knew there's no way you thought that a, a mask is actually worth 100 shekel in the marketplace. You knew perfectly well that the guy is exploiting you and he's charging you five, uh, 50 times what it's, uh, what it's normally, uh, normally worth. And if you agree to pay for it, so it's too late now. You can't go ahead and, uh, and cry over spilled milk at this point. You can't, uh, it's too late to go ahead and complain when you knew that uh, this is what you were getting yourself into. So that could be a response to the lokech, to the buyers over here, the other people in the shul, that since they knew what they were getting themselves into, too bad, so sad, and it's too late. Yeah, I mean, I think that works from the onah perspective, but but, but there's still the mishat, mishat Bach aspect of it that, that's still present. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so now let's go back uh, to this ritva over here. And the ritva had said... Um, that oh wait did I miss something? Sorry, so let's see. Okay, excellent. So now the Ritva had said this is the key line that I want to draw your attention to now, and that is that if really from the perspective of the buyer. This item is not worth 100 shekel. The person is only willing to go ahead and pay it, right? He says, If it's really not worth that much to you, and the only reason you're willing to pay that exorbitant amount is because you're desperate, there's something which is going on in your life at the moment which makes you desperate. So the Ritva said, That certainly agreeing upon a price that uh, uh, that uh, is uh, uh, occurs simply because the customer is desperate. So that's not considered to be a meeting of the minds. The essential component of any ca- transaction is the meeting of the minds. If my mind meets your mind at a hundred shekel for the mask because I'm desperate, that doesn't that does not constitute the meeting of the minds, and the uh, the the agreement is not binding. That's what the Ritva said. So what I was wondering about was, uh, that's true. The Ritva is talking about when an individual is desperate and agrees to pay this exorbitant amount. What happens if you have, let's just say for sim- simplicity purposes, let's say you've got 100 people in show who are all desperate and they all need masks suddenly. Do we look at that as 100 individuals 
who are desperate, and each one could say, listen, I only agreed to do so because I was personally desperate, and that's why I agreed to pay 100 shekel for this 200 shekel thing. Or do we say, if you have 100 people who now are in need of mass, and there's a limited supply, supply and demand means that when the demand is great and the supply is limited, the price is going to go up. So suddenly we created in the shul a new market. But there wasn't a limited supply. There was enough for everybody. The maybe yes, maybe no. But, but the, the question is, I, I, I put that in it for, for dramatic purposes, but the, the, the issue is, do we say that in that show at that moment, there was a new market? And that market was driven by the demand that everybody had for those masks. So the Ritzvah tells us very clearly that when, you, when it's an individual who's desperate, an individual's desperation doesn't create a market. What that is, is that's, that's price gouging of that individual. That's clear. That's clearly what the Ritzvah holds. But if we go ahead and we say, suddenly there's a bunch of people who need this now. So that creates a market similar to the way the airport or the ballpark are going to be able to get away with charging this enormous amount. I don't know, I don't know how much a beer costs now in the ballpark, but it's got to be over 10 bucks, 15 bucks. Aren't you, do you know what it is? Do they walk around? I never learned to drink beer. <laughs> Not that you saw, just that they, as you see them walking by. They like have a thing on them that says we, how much the we, beer costs. We know some Yidden that sell the beer. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so it costs a lot of money. Much more. In most instances, you could go to a convenience store, you could buy a case of 24 for the amount that, that 16 ounces of beer are going to cost you in the, in the ballpark. But they're able to do so because there's a market of people who are willing to pay that amount for that, uh, for that thing. So my thinking was that maybe in this case, the reason why there's not going to be an issue of Ona is because the circumstances in that place at that time created a new market. When you buy a mask at the local Makola down the street, so that is a, that, 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 that's one market. And in that market, it doesn't cost any more than two shekel a mask. But suddenly, if you've got 100 people or perhaps 50 people or maybe even 20 people who are all in a situation where there's a demand for masks, so maybe that creates a mini market, not the brand name, but it creates a market within that particular location. And the market within that particular location then runs a hundred shekel a mask. But fleeting so, in time said, or location. Or if that guy pulls in at multiple shuls. Yeah, the he may be able to pull multiple shuls. Multiple shuls where they don't wear masks and he happens to have his friend come to all of them. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So uh, yeah, there will be an interesting uh, scenario. I, I like that very much, Aaron. That's great. I don't Another want to account. I don't want to say you have a devious mind to have thought of that, but I'm just saying. So, <laughs> but but that, that would make for an interesting thing, whether the guy goes around and, uh, and uh, artificially manufactures a market in order to be able to drive up the price. That's what I, I said also at the beginning, that the, this Ruvain could have, if he has a good with this, uh, this police officer, so he puts a tracking thing on his phone, the police officer knows where to go, which shoal he's visiting, he's got his box of mess, and the two of them split it once at the end of the day, they split the, uh, the proceeds. So yes, there's all sorts of what, ways. this is Chicago? <laughs> exactly. So Chicago, it's, it's like insurance money for your, your storefront that uh, nobody will break Protect, the, uh, the glass. Protection, protection money. Protection money, exactly. So, so Reb Chaim agreed. 
you see, he, he seemed to like this svar, that it may very well be that given this particular situation, without our, all of our deviousness, but given this particular situation, the, a market has been created in that time and place, which means that the market is now set at $100 a mask. If somebody wants to leave the market, if somebody wants to run out of the shul and go to the corner makolet and pick up a mask for two shekel, so they can run to the other market. Nobody's going to stop. The same way that a bag of peanuts outside the ballpark costs you a dollar, inside the ballpark costs you four bucks. It was a, a, you're not even a, a square block away from, uh, from one another, but the price uh, changes dramatically from outside to inside. So the same way, right outside of the shoal, there's a makola which sells it for two. But in the shoal, at that moment, there's a market for 100 shekel a, a mask. And the reason we know that there is such a market is because you've got a receptive uh, customer base all of whom are willing to pay the 100 shekel or at least commit to pay 100 shekel a mask because it'll save them the penalty of a, the, the ticket of 500 shekel. So as I said, so Chaim was, was masking to that thing that this may be a market which is created in of itself. We're not addressing still the Meshat Anibach, as you mentioned, Art, and as you mentioned, uh, uh, Charlene. We'll probably come back to that at another point about whether despite the fact that it's not Ona. Can you still say Meshat Anibach? Is this a circumstance where you could get away with that or not? But uh, the, here tonight, what we see is, is that a market could be created in, a, in, in the moment and in the place. And that would be a recognizable market halakhically, which would then uh, uh, avoid violations of Ona. Does it make a difference whether the seller says, what will you give me for these masks? And have the buyers set the price? Um, it could. It could. That's the hundred dollars across the river. Well, you know that could be like the hundred right. They're, they're right. They're offering. Right. Generally, uh, outside of this shul, I assume that there's not much of a uh, a secondary market for masks in terms of like used masks. I assume you can't get too much for uh, for used masks. But in this particular situation. They may be able to create, you know, if a guy's got, you know, masks, just, uh, you know, old masks falling out of his pockets, people may be willing to pay him for those used masks. Again, they only have to put it on for, uh, for a short period of time, just while the, uh, the officer comes in and out. But you may be able to create, uh, you know, a recycling uh, market for, uh, for such a thing. So, yeah, all, all of these things are, are, are possible. Okay, any more uh, questions? I still, I still don't understand. Each one of those people, when they walked into the shul without a mask, accepted a $500 fine, essentially upon themselves. Yeah, I'm going to another class. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming. Uh, yeah, you're, so you're, you're they at... accepted, you know, they said, like you said, the person that runs into the meter is accepting upon himself essentially a fine. If he gets caught now, he so you can't be mad at them if you know you're doing it. So each one of those people has said, "I'm accepting. I'm a walking five hundred dollar fine. Maybe I'll pay it today. Maybe I won't. You know, maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe I won't." So the fact they're paying a hundred dollars is really it's less than the market value because the market value of that mask is five hundred dollars. If you're wearing it, you save yourself five hundred dollars. If you're not wearing it, it's five hundred dollars. It's you know a bargain. <laughs> Undoubtedly, when all those husbands came home. Uh, they what they said to their wife was, "Dear, I saved us four hundred shekel today." <laughs> no, they probably railed against the whole system and why do I have to wear masks and you know? It's, it's all how you market it. It's all how you present it. It's <laughs> right. 
that's that's the way it goes. But but you, but you're right. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's clear that you have no pity on these uh, these fellows, uh, nope. and uh, you're not going to let them get away with uh, you know getting out of paying anything less than the hundred shekel for the for the mass. And I definitely hear you. The uh, um, you know they uh, they uh, there there's no um, if they if they started a campaign a tzedakah campaign <laughs> to help these fellows pay off their uh, you know their hundred shekel uh, commitments so they were not getting any donations I think from any of us here no uh, no pity and no compassion towards them uh, whatsoever because if you put yourself in that situation so too bad so sad yeah hundred percent hundred percent do the crime you pay the fine you speed you get a ticket you can't yell yeah, at the cop can... for pulling you over. Right, exactly, exactly. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. I'm with. I, I'm having no pity on them either. Uh, from the very outset, the fact that they weren't wearing, wearing masks, they already lost my pity at that point. And whatever happens to them at that, uh, you know, moving forward, uh, they they should feel lucky. They were probably eating fish too. <laughs> on top of it, right? <laughs> right. Just no, but really, but from a halachic point of view, isn't it? Isn't there? Wait, 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 about you. Uh, Bob. That's the ultimate of Avera Gorera Savera. You start off without a mask. Next thing you know, you're eating fish. You're eating or, herring or and kiddish. Right. <laughs> um, no, but really, from a halachic point of view, do, isn't there a? Is, do they not accept responsibility? Like we're we're all talking about. Oh, the the seller sort of being responsible for overcharging or not overcharging. But where's the responsibility on the buyer for the fact that they put themselves in a? Like, there's no desperation. They put themselves in that situation. Uh, oh, very good. That's Bachus raising an, an interesting point that maybe this doesn't even fall into that part of the discussion of kitzitza mitoch hatchak. That it's a it's a, an agreement based on desperation. That if you if you create the desperation, uh, if you uh, put yourself into the situation where you become desperate, and it was your the desperation is your making, then maybe that's not called desperation. That's good. Excellent. I like that. I like that. I mean, that's you the difference between the guy fleeing that. the guy fleeing the the prison was a different case than you said the guy who he you know the guys are knocking at the door because he got himself so into debt that he's now forced to sell. So that guy put himself in the situation. We don't have pity on him. You know, he's not going to be able to claim later. By the way, you owe me the extra two thousand, the extra thousand dollars because I gave it to you cheap, so just so I can pay off my debt. But the fleer, we say no, you do owe him because it wasn't you know like the. But that, that's a, that's a, the, the proverbial guy who killed his father and then throws himself on the mercy of the court because he's an orphan. He just made right? <laughs> so that's uh, so that that doesn't really work to go ahead if you create that uh, you know your own your own orphan status. Uh, it's not going to uh, to go very far. But yeah, yeah, I like it. I like that a lot. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you all for coming. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good Shabbos. Stay healthy and uh, and stay safe.